for the 50th or 51st time, uh, Wednesday at noon. We're live uh, here in the humble makeshift basement studios for the Pastor Mike Drop podcast. On today's podcast, we're looking at the book of Revelation, the millennium, uh, the book of life, Armageddon. Now that I have your attention, grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and let's go. Greetings, Bible scholars. Welcome back. Or welcome for the first time if you're new to the podcast. This is the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. We are reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year, and we're getting there. Emily? So close. Yeah. Uh, my co-host, Emily. Hello. How does that feel? So good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this week and next week, and that's it. Yes. And then we wrap it up. And, yes. And uh, inquiring minds want to know, so what's mm-hmm. next? And I would say, well, our theme next year as a church is a church after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to talk about what we've learned in the Bible and how to apply it and how to live it out uh, as we gather and grow and and give and group and get connected to God and to one another. But we also have, you know, I'm just going to come just plant the seed for our faithful listeners and watchers of this podcast. We also have an opportunity for you to do this again, yeah. uh, over and over again. And so the the whole Holy Bible in a year will be back in 2024. Yeah, yeah. it's been so good. It Worth has. doing again. It has. I actually have some sadness over these last two weeks as we mm-hmm. as we start to kind of move toward the finish line. Um, it's been fun, and thanks to thanks to you, Emily. Obviously, yeah. thanks to our production crew, yes. who are absolutely amazing, yes. uh, and everybody behind the scenes who does so much to make this work. Mm-hmm. Kelsey and Susan and Chris and Matthew and Matt and Matt and everybody named Matt yes. uh, is a part of this podcast. Uh, so no way we could do it with yeah. without the whole crew and our pastors and the pastors who today represented by two just elite. Yes. Brilliant, wow. genius minds. Yes. Wow, Pastor Danny Householder, nice. Pastor oh. Richard Webb. Hello to you both. Well, hello there. We're happy to have you back. I'm, I'm only half kidding. I mean, Danny graduated summa cum laude from uh, Bethel Seminary, and R- Richard Dude. has his earned doctorate right. in ministry. And so we are we are not hurting today for yep. for brilliance at the table. How's that for really like setting the bar high? Uh-oh. Oh man. <laughs> We're going to use all you got today, too. It's pushing against my my Scandinavian Lutheranism. You know, I'm like, oh, my. Now I have to actually be smart. Yeah, I have to. I don't think you can help it, Richard. No. Let's go. We got a lot of ground to cover. We got a few Old Testament books uh, to summarize, and then we're going to dive into the book of Revelation, chapter 16 to 20. So, Ted Lasso, where are you? Help us out. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. All kinds of questions. I do. I'm raising my hand. First one. <laughs> what do you want our podcast listeners to know about this week's Old Testament books of Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Haggai? Say them fast ten times. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing is is to keep them all straight. Who was saying what? Uh-huh. Um, let me see if I can just do just quick summary. And, and I'm just doing starters. To you get mean us all not talking. a lot of people talk about reading Nahum every day? Yeah, uh, they don't yeah, come into your yeah. office and say, help mm-hmm. me understand Nahum. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. I look at Zephaniah. That's a book in the Bible. Oh, my goodness. But they're all really good. I, I, want, oh, I don't yeah, want to get yeah. struck by lightning. Yeah, I want to yeah. make sure that I'm mm-hmm. clear on this. This is God's word. It's good stuff. Well, let's start with Micah. I mean, it's a short little book, but it's talking about what is going on in Israel and also Jerusalem, and that God is getting ready to judge his people. It starts out with this big 
cataclysmic. God's going to just do stuff. He's going to intervene massively. And then the leaders are like, why? And it's like, well, because you completely corrupted everything. Your profits are the best money can buy. You know, and, and then it goes on there. And, and basically, you know, disaster is going to take you out, but it's not perfect. But it's not permanent because one day God will restore everything and then God's kingdom will be restored for the sake of the nations. So, and that's a major theme that runs through a lot of the, of the books. Like Isaiah back, goes back and forth between judgment and restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so Micah's doing the same thing. That's, there's, there's a pattern here too. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest that all these books, because they're shorter. That's why we were reading yeah, so many yeah. of them together this week as a church. Mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest they're the same, nor are they all written at the same time frame. Some are before the exiles, some mm-hmm. are after the exiles. Yeah. Uh, some are warnings more toward northern Israel, some more toward Judah, some mm-hmm. toward the restored Israel post-exile. Yeah. But the one thing they all have in common is the call to faithfulness, yeah. that God calls us to keep the faith and the call to turn away from unfaithfulness mm-hmm. right in Habakkuk. Uh, there's this kind of famous phrase that says the righteous will live by faith, which is a precursor for New Testament stuff too. But it's not just a New Testament concept then. It's something that has been consistent throughout the Old Testament as well. So if we're righteously living by faith, on the Mm -hmm. other side of that same, flip side of that same coin is the unrighteous live by their own kind of desires. And Habakkuk lists those. He calls Mm -hmm. them the five woes. The first two are unjust economics, Mm -hmm. you know, where the wealthy keep the poor in debt and Mm -hmm. have this whole system to do it. The, The third one is slave labor. The fourth one is alcoholic leaders. God's against that. Yeah. Uh, don't don't be drunk on the yeah, job. People who get drunk and then uh, from that drunkenness, it leads mm-hmm. to all sorts of other issues, promiscuity. Yeah. God's against those things. And the fifth woe is idolatry. And so what, what mm-hmm. Habakkuk is doing here is reminding us, all right, there really is a God who cares about the way we live. Mm-hmm. And living righteously is going to lead to justice and peace yeah. Yeah. And, and to love and joy and, mm-hmm. and to all the good things. Mm-hmm. Living for ourselves and mm-hmm. living for our mm-hmm. own desires yeah. isn't going to just be a train wreck for the world around us. It's going to mm-hmm. be it's going to mess us up too. Yeah. And it's yeah. what I love about the consistency: Micah, mm-hmm. Nahum, Habakkuk, mm-hmm. uh, Zephaniah. It's it's in all those those prophetic books. Well, one of the interesting things I'm zeroing in on Zephaniah. Um, one of the the, the big surprises um, in Zephaniah, and, and I would also say Haggai, is um, that. There are people who have now come back to um, to Jerusalem during the Persian Empire, and they're just shocked that things aren't better because um, it was predicted that after seventy years everything would be great, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not great, right? And so what's going on? And and this is where especially Haggai starts saying, "Well, you're kind of acting like everybody before the exile," mm-hmm. and, and so it's really kind of on you. Are you really wanting to participate in a renewed Israel, or do you like the old Israel better? Right. And, and, and then he talks about the consequences. He says, you're having such a rough time because you're not trusting God, which goes right back to the theme that we saw in, 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 mm-hmm. in Micah, where it says, you know, those who trust in themselves are going to go to a bad end, but those mm-hmm. who trust in God, um, you know, it, it's literally written as a piece of poetry, but it's right. like the center of the book. It's good, Richard. And keep in mind where Haggai's starting there. Yeah. Where he's starting is he's saying he's criticizing the people of Israel because mm-hmm. they've they're free, you know, they get to come home, and rather than rebuilding the temple, and the yeah. temple is supposed to be a place where heaven meets earth mm-hmm. and a place where essentially God's people act as if the kingdom of God is here, mm-hmm. but instead they're spending all their money on their own individual homes. Yeah. 
And so what's he saying? He's saying like you're living anti-creation. Mm-hmm. Creation is a place where every person gets to thrive, where yeah. every person gets to live, where every person gets to care for the rest of creation. But instead, you're caring for yourself. And you can say like, oh, I'm caring for myself because I'm proud. I'm caring for myself because I'm strong. I'm caring for myself because I only look out for me. And I think that the whole point is, no, you're actually caring for yourself because you're afraid. Because you're afraid that when heaven meets earth, you're afraid that in the kingdom of God, it's not going to be enough for you. And the reality is, is that the kingdom that God allows for us to live in is a place where we don't have to keep for ourselves, but it's a place where we get to share. And these prophets are trying to say, I want you to be a people who reflect the heart of God. Yeah. Where heaven meets earth, where the poor are supported and loved and cared for. And you don't have to look out for yourself because we all support one another as God's family. Yeah. And that takes Mm -hmm. us right back to Micah. Yeah. Uh, our first book that we're reading this week through in our Old Testament readings, there is there is not just hey this is for right now this this is to tell you what you should do today. Mm-hmm. There's also this hope that comes through a, a, a future hope uh, on the other side of judgment. So there's going to be judgment for sin, yeah. Because and we want that. I, I mean, it sounds weird that we want judgment, mm-hmm. but we do because if God doesn't judge injustice, that means God doesn't care about justice. If, if God doesn't want to, and this is a theme that will carry over into the New Testament, and not just the New Testament, but the mm-hmm. Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. So the future hope comes in part from God allowing all the darkness of evil to 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 shoot its best shots yeah, yeah. and then to wipe it out yeah. once it's once it's there mm-hmm. it can be destroyed yeah. and so God is a God of justice and the hope that we have in part is that that justice will not stand yeah. Micah even uses the phrase this is the problem and we've said this for the last few weeks as we've been reading through the book of Revelation this is the problem with reading the last book of the Bible the book of Revelation by itself yeah. it's going to be so incomplete that there's no way you could get it. That Micah uses the phrase New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That is not just something that pops up in Revelation 21. Mm-mm. That's as old as this Old Testament prophet, Micah, mm-hmm. centuries before Christ, who said the days are coming when there'll be hope on the other side of judgment. There'll be this New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So what is John doing in his vision as he writes Revelation? He's picking up on all of these Old Testament prophecies prophecies that spoke about justice for injustice, the other side of judgment is hope. And it is this new city, this new city of mm-hmm. God, this new mm-hmm. Jerusalem, this kingdom of God, in other words, we pray yeah. thy kingdom yeah. come. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. And yeah. what I want our listeners, uh, podcast listeners to catch and Bible readers to catch on that is knowing the Old Testament prophecies really helps to unlock the mystery yeah. of the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. And it does so in a way, Danny, getting back to what you were saying, where the fear is dissipated, where the fear is minimized, and we're able to truly embrace, you know, that word that's on my sweatshirt, that's the name of our church, that's hope that God gives. I I wore this purposely because <laughs> I was like, so there's this little glimmer of hope that just that just continually persists Mm -hmm. and it gets louder and louder and louder. You know, by the end of this session, I should have had a shirt on that had a huge hope on it, you know, (laughs) but but that's kind of the process of reading from, Mm -hmm. I think it's so great. We're reading the old Testament prophets here like Micah. Now we're going to turn the page into the book of revelation. So let's dive in. Let's go. What are the seven bowls of God's wrath? Are they literal events? Have they already happened or are they still to come? Sure. Um, it's a great question. And I think that it's something that people get caught up on like they do in a lot of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep on going back to what we've said about the book of Revelation ever since we opened this up and what we say around here often as, as a church and, and what theologians have said before us is if you read the book of Revelation, you walk away terrified. You've, you've missed the point. Yeah. Uh, the book of Revelation, along with the rest of the gospel, is good news. Um, and so we do have to read it through that lens. And yet, 
good news for creation is not good news for evil. And so as it says in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, it says, hey, look out. So if you are reading this and you're getting too comfortable, look out. Jesus says, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. So I'm going to preface this with that. There is the double temptation of I can become too obsessive, right? And be like, oh, no, this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened. No, it's not. And then I can become apathetic as if to say, oh, none of this has to apply with me. It all does. It all has to do with everything. Now, is this stuff literal or is it symbolic? Well, in in one way, it's certainly literal in that take a look at these plagues that show up in Revelation chapter 16. The first four are the same plagues that you see in the book of in the book of Exodus. You saw this mm-hmm. in a previous cycle in the book of Revelation as well when it came with the trumpets. So in a sense, like, Yes, it's, it's literal in that these things have happened before. They happened in Egypt when God was delivering his people from Egypt and freeing them from Pharaoh and, and their enslavement there. So in a sense, like, yes, that, that's literal. Now, what is John talking about here? Mm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, do I, do I lean toward maybe in the future this would be symbolic? Like, it, it could be, but I'm going to take a note from a thing that you said in your sermon a couple of weeks ago, Dad, which is... Um, we fight so much over the means and we agree on the end. And I'd like to settle with this. The end is this in the same way that God used these plagues to free his people from Egypt. God is going to use what comes in the future to free us from the ultimate slavery, which is slavery to sin. And so I I, want to say that. And I want to say that if you get too obsessive and concerned and think, Oh my goodness, this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened. Remember, this is good news. And if you get too apathetic about it, remember, God does not bless evil and God does not bless sin. Mm -hmm. But what God is doing through all of this, literal events that have happened in the past, perhaps symbolic about what will happen in the future. I'm not 100% sure. But what I do know is this. What I do know is the end is that God is freeing his people from ultimate slavery. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate slavery is the slavery to sin. Slavery to lying, slavery to betrayal, slavery mm-hmm. to selfishness, mm-hmm. slavery yeah. to keeping for yourself. Yeah. And it's a really good thing that God demonstrates his judgment on this. Let's mm-hmm. talk about those ditches that we bring up once in a while because mm-hmm. I think they really apply here. Uh, this, is a, this is a repeated theme around hope is we want to avoid the ditch of legalism. We talk a lot about that yeah. and against that. Yeah. That's the legalism that leads to the fear that you're talking about, Danny. It's like if you're reading Revelation and you're just terrified, mm-hmm. you've missed the main point. And the main point is good news for anybody who wants to change the way they think. The fancy word for it in the Bible is repentance. Mm-hmm. Change the way we think about these things. Live for something more than ourselves. Live yeah. for the God yeah. who made us and has a purpose for our lives. We want to avoid that ditch that leads to, oh my goodness, I'm reading about these seven bowls of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid I'm going to be on the receiving end of those bowls. Okay. Yeah. Well, just like the plagues were, were given to get the attention of the Egyptians, God's pouring out his judgment symbolically, but it's true. It's, it's re- just because it's symbolic doesn't mean it isn't real. Yeah. God pours out his righteous anger, his judgment upon people who need to have that alarm go off, need mm-hmm. that attention getter, need, need to say, hey, you're heading toward a cliff and you're going to fall off and you're going to get hurt and you might take people with you too. Yeah. So yeah. turn around, change the way you think, repent. H. Richard, H. Richard Niebuhr, another famous Richard, American theologian like you, Dr. Richard, uh, was, was, did, didn't push back against that legalism, although he did in other places. But now he's, in, in this quote I'm going to share, he's pushing back against the other ditch on the other side, which is an ultra-liberal uh, progressive relativism, which just says, hey, 
you know, we don't, yeah, we should read Revelation. We shouldn't be worried at all. It's all good. You just do whatever you want. Just, you can believe in whatever you want. You can worship false idols. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. go your own way. And God's going to, you know, God's love and he's going to be cool with it at the end. So don't worry. Just, you just do you. So Niebuhr says this. I love this. He says, a God without wrath brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the work and ministry of a Christ without a cross. And we might have preferred a gospel like that, but that's certainly not the biblical story we've got. No. We have a God who loves us enough to pour out his righteous anger against injustice, yeah. against mm-hmm. darkness, against evil, yeah. for our sake, to yeah. try to point us toward this hope. So mm-hmm. in between those two ditches is this thing called faithfulness, mm-hmm. is this thing called God's word, which sets us yeah. free and gives us a whole new life. Oh, man, I'm, I'm looking at this and, and just, just a couple of things. One is this is the second of two plagues. The first one, people repent. In other words, there, the exodus works. Yep. This is sort of a study in the mystery of refusal. Because at the end of this plague, Good. everybody's still mm-hmm. basically being rebellious. And you're thinking rebelliousness in the face of such overwhelming force is really foolish. Right. So you, you see how, how, how our, our own broken selves, when, when we make ourselves God, I mean, our collective IQ just drops in right. terms of, of good decision-making. Right. And, you know, and the, the other thing is, is just, I was just counting, is, is the earth is destroyed three times through this, yep. which causes me to think of it more as symbolism. Mm-hmm. The first time is, is if the sun is, is so hot, it, it scorches people with fire. Right. Uh, well, game over, folks. That's global warming it, with it, to the power of 15,000. And then, you know, you have every island fled away and the mountains couldn't be found. Well, that's such a seismic event. By the way, this is the second time this happens in Revelation. Game over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, but here's the key, as you said, uh, Pastor Mike, is, is that um, when... The, the the symbol it's not less than what these symbols are mm-hmm. it it could even be more mm-hmm. they're just pointing to the way god is going to work in other words all this is designed to free the slaves and sadly in this particular exodus the slaves don't want to be freed they don't mm-hmm. repent they don't turn around no. like you said richard mm-hmm. they, this year at hope we're reading through the the whole holy bible and ultimately we have to ask a question along mm-hmm. the way yeah. Do you want us to tell you what you want the Bible to say or what it actually says? Yeah. And when, when, if we're going to love you enough to tell you what it actually mm-hmm. says, mm-hmm. it is in the same way, I hope, in mm-hmm. alignment with mm-hmm. what God is doing here mm-hmm. and what John is revealing in yeah. the book of Revelation. Yeah. These bowls of wrath are being poured mm-hmm. out so that you will have a better life, yeah. so that you will turn, you will repent. Um, many did not repent, as you say, despite yeah. all the plagues, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the bowls of wrath. They're spiritually stubborn. Yeah. And look, I, you know, those of you who are Iowans, you know this is in the news, so I'm just going to make a little statement about this. This is not a political statement. This is not, I'm not a legal expert. Uh, I'm not saying anything. But there's a satanic temple in the, in, the, in the Iowa State Capitol right now. I'm not saying this is like what should legally be the right thing to do, whether it should be allowed there or not. I'm mm-hmm. talking about this spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. You've got to be nuts yeah, to build seriously. a satanic temple, given what we're reading in the book of Revelation. You, you've, you've got to just be thumbing your nose at God in a really dangerous way. And I say that because I love the people who did this, and I want them to, he- yeah, you know, yeah. somebody can share with them, just say, look, whether it's legal or not is a secondary point. The main point here is, why would you do that? First of all, yeah. your side's going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really, you know, you're, you're, you're bowing down to a power that is, is not going to be able to win in the end. God will wipe mm-hmm. that out. And secondly, it just seems to be this 
spiritually stubborn, hard-hearted. <laughs> okay, you can send the plagues, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna repent. Mm. The, the tough times we face as a world should be a reminder. Hey, maybe we ought to humble ourselves yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit before yeah. a holy God. Yeah. 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 What's the meaning of Armageddon and the great city of Babylon, and how does this tie in to the final defeat of Satan depicted in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 15? I'm laughing because why not? Let's We're on a roll. Right. So now let's go to the battle of Armageddon, which, uh, you know, some people, God bless them, they're not enemies. I don't totally agree, but they'll say this is a literal place in northern Israel where there's going to be a battle. Mm. And so they're looking at the news of the day, yeah. and they're trying to put put the puzzle pieces together and say, okay, well, maybe it'll be Russia or China or North Korea or Iran or some uh, evil empire mm-hmm. as, as, as it's defined, and that they or they will get together. Mm-hmm. All these nations of the world, there'll be World War III, and mm-hmm. maybe that's the prophecy, and maybe this is what it's about, and maybe that's going to usher in the end of the world as we yes. know it. Maybe, it, it, maybe, but that's not literally, I mean, if we're going to take the Bible seriously and yeah. literally in this yeah. case, yeah. that's not what it says. Armageddon, the word shows up once in the entire New Testament. It's in Revelation 16, verse 16. And it speaks also about the great city of Babylon in verse 19. It says the great city of Babylon, and it's almost assuredly Rome, as we talked about before, is split into three sections, and the city of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. Again, God's judgment. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce, righteous anger, his wrath. There it is again. So Armageddon, it could be a literal battlefield where the final war between good versus evil is actually going to physically be fought between armies, Mm -hmm. but probably not because remember who the victor is here in this book. It's not the lion, it's the lamb. It's the lamb who bleeds before he shows up for the battle. It's, It's the lamb who shows up. The true power is in God and the goodness of God through the sacrifice of the lamb, Jesus Christ, yeah. through his yeah. shed blood. That's the power that defeats evil. That's the power yeah. That, yeah. that wins the battle of Armageddon yeah. against the false gods of money and, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mammon was the name of the, of the yeah. false idol, mm-hmm. war uh, mm-hmm. against Mars, the false idol, uh, Aphrodite, the, the goddess of sex. And, and the way Jesus defeats the devil is by sacrificing his life against those things so that we can be washed clean uh, by the blood of the lamb. Our robes are made white. There's something that John sneaks in here. It's it's, it's this little quick story, uh, and this is a Jewish thing where the writers will stack stories on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, you you have, out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne. Okay, so we got a temple here, just hold that. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. Uh, That's Sinai, and and that temple's the tabernacle. And, 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 and what's getting blown away? The golden calf, and, you know, and, and, and which is a stupid thing. I mean, if you want to see how, how, how idolatry makes you stupid, I mean, here's God, you know, with Moses and thunder and, 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 and sounds of trumpets. In the middle of that, where he's giving uh, the people of Israel the way of freedom, what we call the law, they decide Moses has been up there too long. Let's create our own God who's going to get us out of this. And, and you know, and you're just then like... Then Charlton Heston comes down the mountain. Yeah, exactly. oh, I'm sorry, I mean Moses. <laughs> Yes, Moses. Yeah. But I mean, you know, so there's this absurdity that goes with worshiping the B team. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, come on. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and you, so this is almost like John's going, isn't this the dumbest thing you've ever seen? Mm. Again, repeated theme in this yeah, podcast yeah. episode, mm-hmm. because it's a repeated theme in our Old Testament and our New Testament mm-hmm. readings. Yeah. Why would we cheer for the B team? Why, why yeah, would we yeah. cheer for this? Not only because it's evil, mm-hmm. but because it isn't going to win. Yeah. No. 
Something that I find is really interesting about this is sometimes these are the passages where someone who's skeptical about religion, skeptical about faith, they'll use it in a sense to mock God and say, see, God's just a toddler who throws temper tantrums. Well, keep in mind here, the word that's used for wrath throughout the book of Revelation, it's not an outburst of anger. Mm -hmm. There are other words that could be used for outburst of anger, out of control. Uh, you know, malicious lions just going out and, and just, they don't care about what gets caught in the crossfire of their rage. This word that's used for wrath here is actually a settled, conclusive anger. And patient. And patient. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And it's, and so sometimes people will use this to mock God and say, oh, God's just a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. Mm -hmm. No, no, he's not. Mm -hmm. This is a settled, conclusive, and patient kind of answer. Tell me you don't about. know human history without telling me you don't know human history if you say that God is just a, a, a child throwing a temper tantrum. He can't be. You, you're not really reading history nor the text of scripture. He cannot be. And then sometimes Christians will read that and start to say, ah, perfect. So therefore, God's going to go against everything right. that I don't like. But the interesting thing about this is look at the way that God is judging the world. And judgment is a good thing too. Because mm -hmm. again, if you think that judgment, if you think that God shouldn't be a God of judgment, you really need to check your privilege. Because if you are going to say to someone who survived human trafficking that God shouldn't judge, mm -hmm. you need to check yourself. Right. If you think that God shouldn't judge, then you need mm -hmm. to talk to people who have lost innocent uh, loved ones in the crossfires in the Middle East in the last couple of months. Or to murder. Or to murder, or yeah. even in your own yeah. life, anybody who's been lied to, betrayed, yeah. you need to, you have lived a very easy life if you mm -hmm. honestly believe that God shouldn't judge. And you need to check yourself on that. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about this is all these acts of creation, uh, natural events, and uh, these created um, you know, mountains and hills and, and, and all these different things. It's, it's interesting how these are the things that are then kind of crumbling over the evilness that's arrived in humanity. And something that's so interesting about this is when you look at creation and you walk away from a mountain and you're like, my breath is taken away. It's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. Why is that? It's because that mountain doesn't disobey God. The mountain lives out its worship. It lives out its glory of its creator. It doesn't it, it, it simply doesn't disobey. Now, humans, we have a special relationship with God. He loves us and he's not trying to force us into love with him. He invites us into love with him. But the question to ask is, when people walk away from you, is their breath taken away? Are they blown away by beauty? And perhaps the reason why people aren't feeling like that with me all the time is because I'm not living out this perfect worship. I'm not living like a mountain. But if I were to live out this perfect worship, if I, were, if I were to live out like this mountain, like this snow-capped mountain, people would look at that and say, I'm blown away by that beauty because mm -hmm. it's an actual direct or it's an actual reflection of God's image. The interesting thing about it is the mountains in this passage, they're looking at us and nature's looking at us and they're like, we won't stand for this. Yeah. <laughs> we, these people. You know what I mean? You're, it, and it's funny because sometimes are people fools? are like, oh, humans are the worst thing that ever happened to the world. And the mountains in the Bible are like, yeah. yeah we, we agree. Yeah. You know? you're, you're ruining us. Yeah. yeah you're, so, you're destroying the wow. environment, the Jud world. Yeah. Judgment is is natural and mm -hmm. necessary and good for humanity. Oh, yeah. Mm. Let's, let's get back to the second part of that question just before we move into the next one. Mm -hmm. How does this, the Battle of Armageddon, tie in with the final defeat of Satan yep. depicted in Revelation 19? Um, I would invite people to read that again, Revelation 9, 19, 7 through 15. God wins. I know I keep saying that today, mm -hmm. but I want to keep saying yeah, that because yeah. I don't want us to get lost so much in the details of mm -hmm. Armageddon means this and it's symbolic mm -hmm. for that and, and Mount Megiddo. And, and mm -hmm. there's you could read commentary after commentary oh, yeah. after commentary. We did <laughs> over yes, the last few days and, and our, our minds are like exploding mm -hmm. uh, in really cool ways. But 
it's probably not a literal place that we can locate on a map, but that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean this story isn't legitimately important and very serious for us because it leads to the truth that God wins in the end. And so we want to belong to that God who wins in the end. And it's so easy to belong to that God. God makes yeah. it so easy through the cross, through mm-hmm. the sacrificial lamb. It's not like, oh, you have to, you have to, you know, pump yourself up like the lion who's going to conquer. No. You just need to actually surrender everything like Mm -hmm. the sacrificial lamb does. Give of yourself. uh, Surrender Mm -hmm. the life that that my sinful nature wants to live and change the way I think. You know, Revelation isn't just willy-nilly some book that was written off by itself. It is a summary and Mm -hmm. a a beautiful uh, culmination of the first 65 books of the Bible. Romans 12 came to mind as you were given that answer, Danny. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think about these things. Okay, another big one. Who is the great prostitute sitting on a scarlet beast that the people of this world get drunk on? And why do merchants mourn when she falls? Is this a future prediction of a corrupt one world government? Come on. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh First of all, from my read, and again, we've, how many commentaries can you read, um, is that this is actually satire. This is actually making fun. And this is a very, very Hebrew thing to do. When you're encountering something horrible, you use humor. Like uh, one of the funniest books in the Bible, the topic is genocide. It's the book of Esther. You know, genocide is not funny. No, but, but yeah. it, the, the, the way the Bible talks about it is, we have to use some humor to make the point. Yeah, and, and because otherwise you can't handle it. And and, and also humor, it, 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 I think it foreshadows hope. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can make fun of it, it means it doesn't have the final word. So, who is the great prostitute? The great prostitute, from my read, is, is a is a satire on the goddess Roma, and and she was the the patron goddess of the of the great capital city of Rome, and she was pictured as lying across the seven hills of Rome, ever vigilant, you know, ever aware, and she had a sword at her hilt, and she was there to guard the peace of Rome from anybody who would disturb it. So when we read about her here mm-hmm. in Revelation 17 and 18, we're reading about the Roman Empire. Yeah, exactly. Now, what's really important about that is the, the language was the peace of Rome. Well, the peace of Rome only worked for the people who were running Rome, it did not work for the two-thirds of Rome which were enslaved. Mm. It did not work for women who were not Roman citizens. Mm. And it did not work for, for non-ethnic Italians. It worked for the elite Romans. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and the best way to describe it would be South Africa before the end of apartheid. It worked for the, for the English and the Dutch and mm. nobody else. Right. And, and, and so... Um, and, and and so what's being is, is is this this goddess who maintains the status quo is now being unmasked. She's not a virtuous deity. She's in fact a prostitute on a beast that looks like it's been put together by committee. Mm. And and John makes it very clear that the seven heads equals the seven hills. That's what verse um, nine of, of of chapter seventeen. So he he's making very cl- he he wants to be very clear who he's talking about. But she's drunk. She's not vigilant. She's drunk. And and then this is a Hebrew thing, and I'm going to try to be as gentle as possible because Hebrews can be crude. Um, she's got a golden cup, and, and, and it's, it's interesting. It's all funny until it isn't. And part of that cup is the results of all the... All, all the people who've been serviced by her, and that's all the nations that have alliances of convenience, and they're usually economic. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I can elevate the language, all the relationships the prostitute of Babylon has are transactional. Mm-hmm. In other words, the minute that somebody stops 
um, um, being convenient for, for, for Babylon or Rome, then they're discarded and even destroyed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and, and so, and the other then, where it stops being funny is, is the other thing that's in the cup, and that's the blood of everybody she's killed, particularly the Christian martyrs. Right. So, so does that make this some sort of future prediction? No, it actually sets up a posture, and and, and this is we saw this in, in the prophets too. Is then the word Babylon is actually a symbol for when humans get together, and what happens when you get sinful people together? They sin together, like the Tower of Babel story all the way back in Genesis, yeah. which is an effort to try to climb our way to heaven. Yep, mm-hmm. and we're not going to get there. No, so God comes to us. We don't get yep. up to God. We aren't we aren't righteous enough. So God brings His righteousness to us so that we mm-hmm. can be saved. Here's what happens when you climb your way up to heaven, you step on someone. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and when you organize into big, huge things like cities and countries, then you can be more efficient at stepping on people. So sometimes the folks who call themselves, and this is most Christians in America mm-hmm. today, so I say this with nothing mm-hmm. but respect, yeah. dispensational, uh, premillennial mm-hmm. type folks, yeah. uh, and there are different titles for that, but that's usually the way it's referred to. I'm a dispensationalist mm-hmm. or I'm a premillennialist, those people mm-hmm. will say. Yeah. Those of us who feel like scripture doesn't necessarily fully embrace or or mm-hmm. reveal itself toward that view yeah. and would have more of a pan-millennial or amillennial or mm-hmm. amillennial, however you pronounce it, view mm-hmm. on these things. We're still taking the Bible very seriously, but the folks who have that pre-millennialist view oftentimes will say, well, there's this one world corrupt government that's going to rise up. Mm-hmm. They're very nervous about that, and, and they yeah. talk about yeah. this in, mm-hmm. in some very dangerous ways. And I would just say that I think that that while the great prostitute and and the scarlet beast that the prostitute is sitting on certainly represent Rome. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so John is revealing, Jesus is revealing it to John. John's writing it mm-hmm. down for those who are reading this, his original audience. Hey, you know the Roman Empire was a huge threat and or mm-hmm. still is. Mm-hmm. And so we're living in their oppression. We're, li- we're living in that time. I want to remind you that that evil will not stand. Yeah. This great prostitute will not stay. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, this empire will not last. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scarlet beast upon which it stands is going to fall. The right, Babylon, right, right. the Tower of Babel will fall yes. again. But see, now the fact that you brought that up makes me think this, and I think this is so important for our gentle Bible readers out there to hear. There is a repetition in this history. History tends to repeat itself. So it happened all the way back in Genesis. It happened in, in Egypt in the central story of the Old Testament in Exodus. It, it happened Babylon, Assyria before them, uh, you know, uh, and, and all the other Persia then comes in. So there's all, it's not just Rome. Nope. It's in history, it's all these other corrupt governments that precede Rome, but then we also have to say, and so this is a nod to my friends who are premillennial dispensationalists, mm-hmm. it didn't end with the Roman Empire no. either. Mm-hmm. It could be any corrupt, powerful mm-hmm. government in the world today, mm-hmm. and it could be anybody who wants to have this one. There could be a one world corrupt government someday, like there has been in our history. History repeats itself. So, yes, it is historical. But it's also a warning that these things, it doesn't matter if it's Rome or Persia or, mm-hmm. or, or uh, Babylon before that, mm-hmm. there's always going to be people because of our sinful nature who become part of corrupt, powerful governments mm-hmm. that are a threat to justice and are a, a threat to the light. They are dark. And, yeah. and the good news is, again, that darkness won't stand. It, it, it's, it, what I find so powerful is, I would define Babylon as any 
any organization of human community that prohibits you from loving your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, your, and the, the second half is really important, your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. One thing we know, and this is this is hard. I I consider myself, you know, patriotic American. It's it's just kind of in my root system, um, but I also try to do that with some humility, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in a sense of there's some repenting that every nation has to do at some yeah. point along the way. Abraham Lincoln uh, considered our greatest president. One of his most famous speeches is calling America to repent yeah. and say, hey, the reason we're getting this wrath of God right now, this divided country, is because of our sinfulness. So. Repent, t- t- turn around, change the way you think. So as an American, I, I'm saying this with great humility, but I think this is truth of scripture. National kingdoms and governments will rise and fall. Yeah. They do not last forever. God's kingdom lasts forever. And I, that's hard for me to say. It's mm-hmm. hard for Americans to hear or Europeans, if, if the pride they might have in their nation or South Americans or Asians or, or anybody Africans that say, well, our nation is really what it's all about. I'm telling you, if that's what it's really all about for you, and that's where it ends for you, you've got the wrong end point. There's a, there's a kingdom that goes on forever and yeah. ever, and yeah. there's no way to read the Bible and come to any other conclusion. The, the Bible is not saying, hey, it's God and country. The Bible's saying it's God. Yep. And country is important, but it is secondary to the primary point of Scripture, and that is God yeah. and His kingdom. Yeah. Next, what's the significance of all the heavenly wedding imagery in the final chapters of Revelation? Well, it's opposite of this example of, you know, calling Babylon a prostitute. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. let's not act like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to share a quick story here. Um, when Abby and I were dating and we were getting closer and closer and all that stuff, and um, I felt like it was time to tell her, I love you. And that's a big moment for people. People, you know, it, you're you, blushing just you're really, a little. You're really while you I'm not, yeah, I'm I'm not making eye contact with anybody. <laughs> not at all. Um, you know, in in and so I I remember we were in a parking lot at Bebop's and yes. uh, oh, of course, Good that's that's the most be. romantic yeah. place of all. We were drinking chocolate milkshakes and Sweet by Dave Matthews was playing mm. and uh, and I said, Abby, I love you. And she looked at me and she goes, <laughs> <laughs> and she goes. Whoa! <laughs> that was it. <laughs> D- didn't didn't say it back, right? Um, and now I'm I'm happy to say my wife has said it back since. Yeah, that's um, good. At least at least once. Yeah, it, it did it a few times. Um, but it was interesting. There, I, don't get me wrong. I was horrified, but it was also <laughs> it this worked out. Interesting learning experience of oh. You don't tell someone that you love them to hear it back. Right. Mm. If you're telling someone you love them to hear it back, you don't really love them. Mm. Throughout the story of the Bible, and here's where, here's where the analogy falls really, really short, because then I got desperate a few times, like, hey, I, I, I love you now. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like that. Um, but throughout the story of the Bible, what do we see? We keep seeing God saying, I love you. Mm. And I'm not telling you to hear it back. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you that I love you because I love you. And I love you because I love you. God doesn't love you because of anything that you've done. That is what a marriage is supposed to be like. That's why a marriage can be a covenant. Because a lot of times people will think a marriage is an institution. Mm -hmm. It's a contract. It's something that you make a deal with. And there are some people who I think pretty fairly walk away from marriage and they say, well, that was just an institution because they were hurt. They were cheated on. They were abused. 
And then there are people who say to them, well, no, there are no biblical grounds for divorce. You can't ever do that. And you need to stay in there. And so people are led to believe, well, marriage is just this institution. And we walk away from it and people feel disappointed because they've seen brokenness in it. When it comes to the marriage that God will uphold, there's no institution about it. It's all covenant. It's this covenant that is, it does not depend on you for me to love you. I love you. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve are created to be in perfect unity with their creator. They're supposed to be walking in the garden with him. They break the rules. They hide in shame. God walks into the garden and he's looking for them. They broke the rules and God's looking for them. I love you because I love you. And he says, where are you? He's not, he doesn't need to find out where they are. They know, he knows where they are. They need to know where they are. And so God goes into the garden and he finds them. Why? Because he loves them. Not because they loved him, but because he loves them. Many, many, many years later, there's the God man, Jesus, and he finds himself in a garden too. And he's looking for people as well, but he's looking for you and he's looking for me. And in this garden, it's called Gethsemane. Jesus finds himself at a tree of decision in the same way that Adam and Eve, they had their tree of decision. Their tree of decision, if, if I listen to God about this tree, I'll find life. And Jesus at his tree, if I listen to God about this tree, I will die. But Jesus walks into this garden. He seeks humanity and he obeys. Not because of what humanity's done for him, but because of his love for humanity. Mm. And then the most cool and beautiful thing. So humanity breaks their covenant with God in a garden and God still seeks them. God saves his covenant with people in a garden through the Jesus on the cross. And then in the book of Revelation, as this is all coming and it's all happening, then finally in one of the last references about marriage in Revelation chapter 22, um, verse 17, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears this say, come, let anyone who's thirsty, come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add that person to the plagues described in this book. We've talked about those. And if anyone removes the words of this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. So he's brought you back to that tree of life. He's brought you back to the garden. He's brought you back to that place where you live with him. And it's had nothing to do with what we've done for him, but it's everything to do with what he's done for us. Now, one day, the thing that's really cool is when you encounter that kind of love and you look at it and you see it for what it is, and you realize I could be used, I could be uh, manipulated by the institutions, the systems, or I could, I could live in love. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's not a, I'm not saying I love you back because I have to. I'm saying I love you back because, whoa, God, I love you because I love you. I love you because of your glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. really good. And I could personally use more analogies that start mm-hmm. in a Bebop's parking lot. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. That was good. That was really, really good. Powerful. Yeah. It, what's better than a party and mm-hmm. a celebration? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that that's where the Bible ends, talk about analogies, mm-hmm. you know, that it ends with a wedding, it ends with a party, it yeah. ends with a, yeah. a banquet even. Yeah. And it's a, so at a banquet with the best food together with a wedding where there's love that's shared, the bride is the church, it's the faithful people of God, the groom is Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the lamb, and it's this beautiful metaphor. A wedding is a beautiful metaphor for what is. It's not new. We've, we've read about it throughout yeah. scripture. It's yeah. in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And for it to end, as you said, Danny, the spirit and the bride say, come. Now, everybody's invited yeah, to this yeah, party, yeah. to this celebration that's going to go on forever. This is, this is really good news. And the contrast between the bride 
in this chapter and the great prostitute in the mm-hmm. chapter or two before mm-hmm. is is stark. Oh, huge. And this goes back to the Proverbs where you have two women who are issuing an invitation. One is is called folly or foolishness. And she, she says, well, why don't we have a one night stand and have some fun? My husband's gone for a week. Well, then the narrator says, yeah, no, he came back a little early and it didn't end well. Um, and then the other one says, it's a proposal for marriage. Mary, I, I am unconditionally committed to you. Uh, I will give you a, a way to walk in that is life. It's, it's, it's no accident that Paul then calls Christ the wisdom of God. Now, what I find interesting here is this woman is not God, but has all the characteristics of God yeah. because God shares. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, we're all going to look like God because we were created to, to be in God's image. Wisdom that comes from experience. Yeah. I have yet to meet anybody who ever comes into my office and tells me, having an affair, uh, you know, stepping outside of a marriage, mm-hmm. my marriage, mm-hmm. somebody could say, was the best thing I ever did. It was, it was a great idea. I've had a whole long line of people over 30 plus years tell me, it was the worst decision I ever made. Yeah. It's yeah. folly. Yeah. Wisdom, as you say, the, mm-hmm. the contrast there in the Proverbs, wisdom is actually on the side of morality. Yeah. Wisdom is on the, and the mm-hmm. experience that comes from wisdom says, you know, if you could do it over again, you wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah. If you could do it over again, you wouldn't have stepped outside of your marriage. If you could yeah. do it over again, you would have stayed. It's a great deterrent for us to, to, to as pastors, to receive mm-hmm. that yeah. and, and to hear people tell their stories. Faithfulness isn't just like, oh, well, that's some sort of idealistic, you can't get there kind of kind of place. It is a gift from God. It is wisdom. Yeah. How can Bible readers make sense of the first resurrection and the priests of God who will reign with Christ while the devil is bound for a thousand years? Uh, there are two, and we got to go quick on this mm-hmm. one, guys. There are two uh, views on the millennium. Again, there's the literal view that it's a thousand year kingdom uh, in dispensational premillennialists will say there's going to be a rapture, then there's going to be a seven-year time of suffering and tribulation, and then that's going to be followed by the second coming of Jesus, which will lead into Jesus reigning on earth for a thousand Mm -hmm. years, because Mm -hmm. that's what it says. It says it's a thousand years here in Revelation chapter 20. And so they they build the timeline on that. And that's interesting. And if that's the means, so be it. But I'm more fascinated, especially when we step back and realize this is a dream, this is a vision, and you know, even people who say, well, we got to take it literally, do you take the seven heads literally, or, or the ten horns literally, or the, you know, we could go on and on. All throughout the book of Revelation, there are all these different images. So if they are symbolic images of a deeper truth, then others would say the thousand years are a symbol of Jesus' present victory, and the two battles around it depict Jesus' future return from, from two different angles. N.T. Wright, who is, I know you're a big fan of uh, Dr. Richard and all of us are around here, suggests that the millennium is a vision of heaven for those who believe in Jesus and die in between Jesus' first and second coming. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating to me because I've always kind of felt or believed and thought scripture pointed to this, but to get a source as deep as N.T. Wright to back me up on this is just That's really cool. good news for today. In other words, if you have a loved one who've, who's mm-hmm. died, uh, what the greatest Bible scholar in the world today is saying is a careful read of the book of Revelation and the rest of scripture says they're not sleeping in a grave waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah, yeah. They are in heaven right now. Yeah, yeah. They, are, they are present with Christ, which, which would fit with all the other passages in scripture. Today you'll be with me in paradise, yeah. Jesus says to the thief on the cross. The same Paul who says we rest or, or we fall asleep when mm-hmm. we die, that same Paul 
says all sorts of other things, Mm -hmm. uh, like nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. And he even says at one point, it'd be better uh, in some ways if I were to die, because then I could be with the Lord. He doesn't say I could die and I could fall asleep and I could wait for Jesus to come back. He says, if I die, I know I'm going to be with the Lord in any means in heaven. Jesus in John 14 says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Why would I tell you that if I don't go and prepare a place for you? This is important because a lot of people ask us, what happens when we die? What happens when my loved one dies? What happens when I die? You go to heaven with Mm -hmm. God. You are with Christ, with the Mm -hmm. Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus returns and there's this resurrection of the body and there's Mm -hmm. this beautiful thing. And this is the view of the prevailing Bible scholar in the world now. He has some other things that I would push back a little bit on. But how do we know that we're saved for heaven then Mm -hmm. for this time until the second coming? Well, it's the people that take it right out of the book of Revelation chapter 20. It's people who don't worship the beast. Mm-hmm. In other words, they don't worship this world, the economic and military powers of this world. They don't accept the mark on the foreheads of that beast. Um, they have faith. They they put mm-hmm. their trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, it's good news. I, I prefer that view, and I think that it's biblically accurate. I, I agree, and I want to add a second layer. So this isn't an either or. Mm-hmm. I think that the millennium also shows up in, in part every time God's people gather together. Yeah, and so, so we get a glimpse of it. We're, we're the millennium community as God's people. Mm-hmm. Again, I think those who've gone before us in heaven, they're getting the full on, full, you know, everything. Yeah, because I and I think N.T. Wright would make this point too. Mm-hmm. So in, 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 on Earth, we get glimpses mm-hmm. of that heaven yeah. and that millennium, millennial reign. Mm-hmm. We have those moments of inspiration. We have those yeah. moments where it's like nothing can touch us. God mm-hmm. and God's at the center of it, yeah. and we feel like that this is it. This is as good as life gets. We've yeah. all been there. Those moments in worship. Those moments in a Bible study. Those moments in a conversation like this or get goosebumps. It's like, wow, God, you're so good. The moments in reading scripture where it just is so inspiring, it, just, it blows us away. Mm-hmm. N.T. Wright would say in heaven, there's no, there's no pushback against that. There's no mm-hmm. darkness. There's no evil. There's no sin. There's no death. Yeah. So that millennial reign is, is real until Christ comes back. Is mm-hmm. it exactly a thousand years? No. Every other time a thousand years shows up in the Bible, just a few books before this, it says a day could be like a thousand years and a thousand years could be like a day. There are all sorts of other places in the Bible that talk about spans of time that are not meant to be taken literally. They're meant to be taken seriously. Yes. In other words, it's going to be a long time. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. it's going to be a, 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 a time until Christ comes again. That's good. Quickly, I want to get to the last question. What is the book of life and what are the requirements for having our names recorded in this book? Ah, this is so cool. First of all, um, just simply say... Um, that to be in the book of life is is actually not something we can do. It's what God has done for us. Mm. And this is really, really important because this is where, uh, I mean, I, the church formerly known as mine would use this, like, are you, do you really know you're in the book of life? Then we'd all get scared and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the 15th time. That was your Christian childhood, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and and uh, where, you know, that's not what's there. Is is It says, you know, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. And this mm-hmm. may be the same author. This is from First John. Um, and, and so to me, when I look for security on whether I'm in the book of, of life, it's I, I don't look for my decision. I don't even look at how, you know, what kind of day I'm having because, you know, we can all be real jerks at times. I look at Christ's decision for me. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, the book of life also uh, meditates a bit on the mystery of refusal. And it's sort of like the wedding banquet parable. Mm-hmm. It's like to refuse the kingdom is like refusing the best party in the world. Mm-hmm. Once again, insanely, absurdly foolish. Mm-hmm. 
And yet people do really, really dumb stuff. And I think, you know, and I, this is speculation, that when someone refuses the kingdom of God, I think even God shakes his head. Like, what are you doing? So, but I, it's not like, oh my gosh, I could just get tossed out of heaven if I don't quite qualify. Mm-hmm. Again, as we say here at Hope that, you know, God's aim is to make heaven crowded. Mm-hmm. And I would add, he's not looking to toss anybody out. Right. Yeah, that's Re- good. Remember when Jesus talked about the book of life in Luke chapter 10 mm-hmm. and what comes right before that? He sends his disciples out on a mission trip. They come back from the mission trip and uh, they've, they're like, oh my goodness, you know, demons listen to us. You know, we performed all these miracles. It's incredible. Yeah. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in your works. I mean, for goodness sakes, he's like, of course, they're, of course, demons are going to listen to you. I saw it. D- the devil himself fall from heaven, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he says, rejoice and said that your name is written in the book of life. And so what's he saying? He's like, your name is written in the book of life. And what might distract you from receiving that invitation? What might distract you from receiving that invitation is focusing on all the things that you do rather than the thing that he has done. What he has done is enough. It's like, it's like in Ferris Bueller when the teacher's like, Bueller, Bueller. It's like, your name's there. Yeah. And, and <laughs> take your seat, mm-hmm. you know? Like, take your seat. Which, and, is, which is grace. Yes. And yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, chapter 20, verse 5, I will never erase their names from the book of life. Mm-hmm. What good news that is. Yeah. And how do you, like you're saying, Richard, like you're saying, Danny, how do we know? Well, step back and now since revelation is summarizing the totality of scripture and what does the totality of scripture say we know and it's not just i hope my name's in the book of life and we'll see Mm -hmm. you know that the the gospel of john let's just say for a moment maybe maybe just maybe this is the same john you know who wrote Mm -hmm. probably not but 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 it's possible and there's a whole school of thought who thinks the same john who wrote the gospel of john or his community is the same community that wrote the book of revelation the apostle of Jesus, right there with Jesus the whole way. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm writing these things to you at the end of his gospel, John chapter 20, so that you can know, so that you could believe. I, I, he says, I could write a whole bunch more about all the things Jesus did, but I've, I've written what I've written here. I only got so much ink, I guess is what yeah, he's saying. Yeah, yeah. And we've only got so much time, so I'll wrap it up here to say, you can actually know that you know. You can be assured that your name is written in the book of life. Not because of you or your performance, but because of Christ and what he has done. It's, it is, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. Yeah. It's about his cross. It's about the sacrificial lamb giving, giving up his life for us. It's about him setting us free. So uh, rest assured. It's this blessed assurance uh, that we mm-hmm. have through Christ, not because we're religious, not because we're moral, not because we're self-righteous or that we do the right things all the time. The totality of scripture, having just read through it in the last year again, if it says one thing, it says, don't put your faith in yourself. Mm. Put your faith in the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he says to you, I love you. Mm. And, and, and when we get to say, when Abby said, I love you back, that was a good moment, I'm sure. And when we say, I love you too, God, I'm sure that's a good moment as well. Well, that blesses us too, because now we're living the life we were created to live. Mm In, in love for God and in love for the world around us. So keep the faith, uh, faithful podcast listeners. And we've got one more round next week. Uh, tune in. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for, uh, for uh, coming alongside. Thank you for reading the Bible, for learning it, and for living it out. We'll see you at church this weekend. Thanks 
for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time. Oh,